official podcast of JetNation.com, the largest independent fan site in the NFL. Be sure to check out our forums and talk all things Jets with thousands of other diehard Jets fans. Now, to get you up to date on all the latest Jets news, notes, and quotes, here's your host, Glenn Naughton. Good evening, Jets fans. I am Glenn Naughton, and this is Jet Nation Radio. Thank you so much for tuning in. We have a, a lot to cover tonight. We're going to go over a few different things. We're going to look at the, the, the roster as it stands with who we think should go. Plenty of decisions to make there because, let's face it, this team only has a, a handful of guys under contract. I believe the Jets have an NFL low, 40 guys under contract, 40-41, and that includes their practice squad. So not not a lot of established NFL talent on the roster. That's why that hundred million, hundred million plus, isn't quite as much as it uh, as it sounds like as we keep repeating it. But again, still plenty of money to make moves. But uh, they got to sign, even if it's a bunch of bottom of the roster guys. That's that's twenty some spots to fill. So we're going to talk about that. Talk a little bit about the playoffs from this past weekend. I mean, some absolute insanity there. I don't know. Who knows what the hell to make of this stuff sometimes. It's absolutely bizarre. Talk about overtime, overtime rules. Seems to be a lot of opinions on that. You know, should both teams get the ball? Should it just be, should it stay the way it is? Should they go to an NCAA-style format? Should they go back to the old, you know, sudden death overtime? Um, so we'll we'll cover that a little bit. Uh, talk about uh, Connie Carberg, who, if you missed it this week, is uh, featured on NFL Network. Connie was the first ever female scout. In the NFL, she worked for the Jets many, many years ago. And uh, but first, we want to kick things off by thanking our sponsor, Miles Social. Miles Social, they uh, they help businesses run their social media website. Check them out at milesocial.com. Miles Social, excellent resource, folks. You run a business, you got to worry about payroll, you got to worry about legal, you got to worry about safety, you got to worry about advertising, you got to worry about everything. Uh, take take one less thing off, off your plate for you to worry about with your social media advertising management and let Miles Social handle that for you. So, as I said, um, I mean, season's winding down for uh, with the Super Bowl just around the corner, but really for all but the two teams left involved, it's all about the offseason, how to approach it, how to handle your, uh, your roster moving forward. So we'll talk about... Uh, who the Jets have listed. We're going to use SportTrack here, SportTrack.com. They claim that they, they're a decent site, but one thing that jumps out at me, this is they've got all the Jets unrestricted free agents, restricted free agents, exclusive rights free agents. Uh, but for some reason, they have Avery Williamson listed as an unrestricted free agent. Uh, unless there's some kind of out that absolutely nobody is talking about, uh, I don't, I don't, that's not the case. But uh, starting right at the top, right, uh, because – this has been talked about a little bit. Josh McCown, 40-year-old quarterback who served as a mentor for Sam Darnold this past season, made $10 million. A lot of people feel like, you know, he was a, an instrumental guy for what in Darnold's development. That may very well be the case. But in my opinion, uh, McCown would be better served coming back as a coach 
which has been talked about quite a bit already. In all honesty, if he came back as a third stringer, I'd have no issue with that. But it's got to be at a much lower number. You can't pay a guy $10 million to be a coach slash third string quarterback. It's just not, even even with all the cap room the Jets have, that's got to be a million-dollar deal, something along those lines. Um, otherwise, you let McCown walk. So you either secure, bring him back as a coach or bring him back at a vet minimum type number. For a guy who's been around as long as he has vet minimum, third string quarterback, or a quarterback's coach. The next name on the list, Morris Claiborne, corner, made $7 million last year. And Morris Claiborne, uh, you know, I think, he, uh, I think he's, he wasn't as good as some people say. He's not as bad as others say. And when you look, you know, I see people talking about he got beat on this play, he got beat on that play. And I'm just kind of looking at it like <laughs> it's 2019 and every quarterback in the NFL uh, is throwing for like 4,000 plus yards. <laughs> you know, unless you're, a, unless you're a Jets quarterback, it seems like nobody throws interceptions anymore. I mean, it's, the game is so heavily skewed toward offense that there are very few corners who you can look at and say, this dude is going to shut people down. Or even, this guy's going to play at a high level consistently. It's just, Morris Claiborne is probably a slightly above average corner by today's standards. To bring him back on a one or two year deal, I wouldn't object to it, but I also wouldn't mind if the Jets structured it in a way, if Claiborne was willing to do it, um, in a way that he could be easily let go with minimal cap hit. A, because the injury history, B, he hasn't been that good that you want to guarantee him a bunch of money. So would I be opposed to Claiborne coming back? No. Um, but would I be opposed to a three- or four-year deal where they're locked into a bunch of money? Yes. So short deal, easy out financially. I couldn't knock them for bringing Claiborne back. Long, you know, big years or big money. I don't see it being worth the risk. Buster Screen. I don't think anything else needs to be said there. Better than some make him out to be, but still not good enough to hang around. Does great blitzer. Sticks his face in the fan. Um, ton of heart. Fearless player. But just too many mistakes. So he goes. James Carpenter. He's got to go. Had a nice, nice first and second year with the Jets. Did a really good job under Chan Gailey. This past season was bad, but not nearly as bad as he was the year before in year three of his deal. Absolute disaster. Scheme changed. He looked like he got a little bit bigger, lost a little mobility. Solid, solid uh, character. You know, from from what I've been told from some of the people I've spoken to at Florham Park, great locker room guy. Um, but just th- there needs to be some changes along this offensive line. And left guard is one of those spots where there needs to be some changes. I mean, you want to bring Spencer Long back to compete for that spot, that's fine. But there, there, there need to be bodies on this roster in camp, whether it's the draft, free agency, undrafted free agents, whatever it may be. Um, they're, they have to bring in some interior alignment to compete. Ben Braden might be another guy who gets a shot, but bodies. Jermaine Curse, wide receiver Jermaine Curse. Now, Curse is one of the more interesting guys on the list because we don't know what he is. 
we don't know if he's the guy who two years ago looked like he could be a damn good receiver, put up 800-plus yards, five touchdowns, caught everything that came his way. Or was he the guy from 2018, year two with the Jets, who had just over 300 yards, looked disinterested at times, and was a complete disaster? I feel like given the, the lack of weapons the Jets have, I should say the lack of proven weapons the Jets have, because, you know, again, I, I like the Anunua-Anderson combo. And with Herndon in the middle at tight end, I think that's a good starting point. If you curse, I kind of look at like at the same way I do Claiborne. That kind of one or two-year deal, deeply discounted, with, with as again, as a guy you can let go of if he doesn't beat somebody out in camp. I have no issue with that. But no, Jermaine Curse, you're not giving Jermaine Curse a three- or four-year deal for, you know, you're just not doing that. He hasn't done enough. He hasn't proven that he can, you know, that he can be a consistent guy. If I have to guess, he's gone. You know, I'm kind of saying what I think they, what would make sense, um, or what what you kind of live with as a fan. But I think Jermaine Curse is gone after this season. Bilal Powell is next up, another unrestricted guy. Wrong side of thirty, major injury. Um, unfortunately, I think Bilal Powell has played his last game as a Jet. My hope is that they, you know, because of the injury, maybe he's a guy that's not a ton of interest in. You bring him back to compete in training camp. I have no issue with that. The guy, you know, even though he's got the major injury now, um, in terms of miles on those legs, the number of carries he's had throughout his career, for a guy his age, didn't carry the ball a lot in college, spent a lot of years nailed to the bench with the Jets. When he finally, you know, when he does get playing time, he plays well. So I've said for years, Bilal Powell could be a guy who plays at a fairly high level at age 32, 33, if he's healthy. And uh, I think somebody can get a good player for a good price in Bilal Powell. I, again, my gut says the Jets are going to move on. Isaiah Crowell, Eli McGuire, Trenton Canna, and let's face it, they're probably going to go out and get Le'Veon Bell. I mean, from all indications, the Colts aren't looking to spend that kind of money on a guy like that. And the Jets need a guy like that. And I don't, you know, that that's another conversation. Maybe next week we'll talk about some free agent targets. But for my money, Le'Veon Bell is will be a, a high priority this offseason. Whether or not they get it done, we'll see. Steve McClendon's up next, defensive tackle. So McClendon, as you've heard on this show a million times over, um, absolutely love the guy most underrated guy in the roster has been for a while. He's 33 years old. He made three and a half million this season. To me, the McClendon situation comes down to what the Jets think of Fuller runs of Fadakasi, a guy they drafted late last year. And when they took him, I kind of envisioned that as this is a guy they're taking to be McClendon's replacement because Fadakasi got strong as an ox and would fill that role nicely or at least that's the hope, obviously, um, for him as an interior lineman. A lot of people felt like if this was, you know, he may have gone a lot earlier. Talented interior lineman just happens to be playing in an era where there's not a premium placed on his position. But that doesn't mean you don't want a good player in that spot. So McClendon might be back on a one-year deal. But I think Fulleron Zafatakasi was drafted to take that spot. And I think that he'll be given that opportunity. So do I think McClendon's back? No. 
but you can file him again under the guys like Kirsten Powell, Claiborne. Wouldn't mind seeing them back on short, cheap deals. Ben Ijalana. Ben Ijalana, um, we you know we we can lump a lot of the the uh, we can we can get these guys out of the way all in one shot. Let's do this. Ben Ijalana, Brent Quale, Dakota Dozier, Jonathan Harrison. I can say the same thing about all four of those guys. They're all affordable. They're all decent backup linemen. We've you looked around you look around the NFL and offensive lines are just a disaster. Absolute disaster. That's why I laughed all off season when people said this line was going to be so terrible. As I've specified on previous shows, I was talking more of uh as a group of pass blockers. And it, I mean, think about this for a second. If you're a Jets fan who didn't watch any other teams this year, maybe you watched a little bit, maybe a few games here and there, but not enough to really get a feel for other offensive lines around the league. If you're a Jets fan and you're living in that Jets bubble, and I know a lot of us do it, you came out of a lot of games this year saying, this is the worst O-line in the NFL. These guys, these guys are going to get Sam Darnold killed. They can't block at all. This is terrible. Well, Football Outsiders, very respected site, ranked the Jets as a pass-blocking unit as 18th in the NFL. Not great, but that means there was more than a dozen teams that were worse than the Jets were pass-blocking. Pro Football Focus, I believe, had the Jets 16th, so two spots higher. So even if you want to split the difference, 16 and 18, we'll say they were 17th. And again, I know we're talking pass blocking here, but really that it's a priority with this team to keep the quarterback safe. But as bad as that Jets offensive line was last year, there were 12, 13, 14 teams that were worse at protecting their quarterback. And Dozier got playing time. Harrison got playing time. Quale got playing time. Ajalana has started some games. I would bet those guys could start for a few different teams. I'm not saying they'd be great, but I'm saying if you could bring those back, those guys back as backups, maybe maybe not all of them. Probably not all of them. Can even throw Spencer Long in there. I don't think he's a lock to win a spot this or next season. But if you want to bring him back to compete as a backup center backup guard that's I'm fine with that but P, I hear people rag on Dozier I hear people rag on Ajalana I hear people rag on Quale and I get that they're not great players but when you're just talking about depth on the O-line you could do a lot worse these guys have played better than a lot of team starters again remember that 16th and 18th by PFF and, and football outsiders I mean, this this isn't to say the O line doesn't need some some you know a rebuild. They need a new center. They need a left guard. I wouldn't mind seeing some competition, some st- stellar competition. With Brian Winters at right guard, left tackle, right tackle, Shell and Beecham. You could live with those guys for another year or two. I've said that. 
I mean, Shell, I think the younger guy has some time left, but I think the, the, the spots on the O-line where you are just getting beat up consistently is more on the inside than on the outside. When Carpenter was in there, Spencer Long at center was pretty bad. Of course, he had the the issue with the finger. And Brian Winters. Too, Brian Winters has days where he looks like he can just be a force. And then he has days where you're like, where, what happened to that guy that was so dominant last week or the week before? So, ineffectiveness from Long. Harrison's a career backup. Well, you know, he's probably going to be a backup for the rest of his career. So, we'll lump those guys together. Ijalana, Kwale, Dozier, Harrison. All backup types who, if you can get them back cheap, absolutely fine. No issue with that whatsoever. Rontez Miles, unrestricted free agent safety. I mean, let's face it, he's a box safety. Um, you might not find a more pumped-up, hyped-up guy on the roster outside of maybe Jamal Adams. But Miles has a ton of energy. My expectation would be that uh, he signs with Tampa. He's, unrestricted, he's an unrestricted free agent, and Todd Bowles absolutely loves Rontez Miles. So I would expect him to speak with the the brass in Tampa and say, can you please bring my guy in for me? And expect Miles to land in Tampa. They have a need. No idea if they have a need, but Rontez Miles grew up a Steelers fan. He's a huge Steelers fan. He's got a great big Steelers tattoo on his arm. I'm sure he would love nothing more than to play for the Steelers. Good guy, though. From Again, everything I've heard, talking to some people around the building um, at Florham Park, say that Miles... Super, super high character guy. Came from a rough background uh, and has, has done a really nice job for himself. And one of my favorite guys, in ter- just in terms of energy and, and, and as hard as he plays, you can't not like the guy. But he's 30, he's a box safety, limited range. I think he goes. Next up is Quale, who we talked about. Neil Sterling, you want to bring him into camp, fine. But the injuries, you know, the concussion knocked him out for a while. You got to worry about that. Ditto Josh Martin, outside linebacker. Has some physical tools that you can work with. I like having him on the roster. Really good special teams guy. Bright guy. Uh, comes across as a really bright guy when you listen to him speak. He's a Columbia guy, if I'm not mistaken. So he's got his. He's got a good head on his shoulders. And I'd like to see. I'd like to see him back. Jeremiah Tuchu. No reason not to bring him back. You know they they were able to grab him. Before the start of the season, there's going to be a ton of demand for his services. But as a situational pass rusher, a guy off the bench, you could do worse. And the same could go for Brandon Copeland. And with these guys also, I mean, let's not forget, we're going to have to see how, how the Jets view them in in, uh, in Greg Williams' defense, if he thinks these guys will fit. On the offensive side of the ball, a couple offensive guys, Andre Roberts, Kick return a receiver. Absolutely bring the man back. Had a phenomenal year. He's in the pro he's at the Pro Bowl right now. Richard Matthews, wide receiver, did nothing. That was a disappointment. I really thought we'd see a bit more of him. Finding on as a free agent when he was let go by the Titans. And Matthews was invisible. Finally got into a game, caught a ball, and pulled, I believe, a groin. Might have been a hamstring, whatever it was. And that finished him for the season. So a a uh not so remarkable 
one year with the Jets, half year with the Jets for Rashard Matthews. I think you let him walk. Emmanuel Lamour, I mean, the guy was picked up with about 10 minutes left to go in the season, 30-year-old linebacker. Uh, don't see him coming back. Henry Anderson. Now, this is a tough one because Henry Anderson was a really pleasant surprise this year. Got him for a seventh-round pick during the draft, and that's how many sacks he had this season with seven tied for the team lead, Jordan Jenkins. But the reason why he was made expendable is because the Indianapolis Colts were going from a 3-4 to a and they really just didn't feel like he would fit that 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 change. So they moved on from him, sent him, sent him to the Jets for a seventh. He had himself a fantastic year. If the Jets, like the Colts, feel like he doesn't fit this new scheme, feel like he won't fit in a 4-3, then you let him walk. Neville Hewitt. I would like to see Neville Hewitt back. College safety, NFL inside linebacker. Can do a couple different things. Not bad in pass coverage. Always seems to be around the ball. You probably get him back for which is uh, you know, peanuts by today's standards. And it's you know, it's it's backup money. He's a backup, solid backup. You could do worse. Jason Myers is up next. All these everyone we've mentioned so far, unrestricted free agents. Jason Myers, same goes for him. He's another guy who's in Hawaii, right? Oh, it's in Hawaii. Orlando, the Pro Bowl this year. And you may as well bring the guy back. He had a fantastic season. Clive Walford. Talked about him a little bit. Tight end. Veteran tight end. Spent a few years with the Raiders. Came to the Jets this preseason. Uh, or this off. Fantastic camp. And was let go. It was just a numbers game. Jets just had too many good tight ends this, this year. Between Herndon, Leggett, Sterling balled out. They wanted to keep Tomlinson around the block. And Walford just became the odd man out. But uh, with Herndon's questions, with Tomlinson maybe leaving via free agency, I think you I think you bring Walford back on a, a one-year deal and let him show if he can play or not. Because I, I think as a second or third tight end, I think Clive Walford would be an excellent, excellent option. Darrell Roberts, corner, who uh see this, this season where he struggled, but when he, when he played exclusively corner, he did a really nice job. Um, had some really good games, probably his best season as a pro. And considering that, I think you'd want to bring him back. Does have good speed. Let him continue to work with uh, with this coaching staff. Denard Wilson, who is staying around as a secondary coach, would have a chance to continue working with him. And Greg Williams' defense, I would like to see Daryl Roberts back. We'll see if that happens. Uh, Bronson Kafusi, late, late season add to the active roster, didn't do a whole lot unrestricted. Actually, no, I take that back. He is the first restricted free agent. Um, take, you know, um, we didn't see enough of the guy to say one way or the other. It'd be silly to pretend we did. Uh, Eric Tomlinson, we mentioned him earlier, was signed and retained to be a blocking tight end and had his worst year as a blocker with the tight ends they have on the roster. I would say Eric Tomlinson is history. But if they like him enough on specials and they feel like they can get him back to where he's a, you know, average to above average blocking tight end, maybe he finds a way to stick around. But I would guess not. We'll see in time. Doug Middleton, restricted guy. I think you make him an offer, bring him back. But he's another guy, to be honest. Uh, 
there's a lot of depth or there's, you know, if Marcus May is healthy, I know that's a big if. And then, you know, Jamal Adams, obviously those guys are entrenched. If, uh, if the Jets don't see the, the need, if they don't think Doug Middleton has the value, maybe you don't make him an offer. But And the next guy is, is the most interesting guy on the list. And that's Robbie Anderson. Restricted free agent, Robbie Anderson. And I think we may have talked about this a little bit in previous weeks. But you've got a wide receiver who... in his first few years in the league, has yet to have a 1,000-yard season. But I think, well, I know that anyone who's paying any attention at all to the way Robbie Anderson plays, to how often Robbie Anderson's able to get open, uh, with better quarterback play, he would easily be, at, at the very least, this year and last, he would have had over a 1,000 yards. As a rookie, maybe not over a 1,000 yards, but he would have had, you could tack three or 400 onto what he did have if he had better quarterback play. Um, Sport Track does a uh, with some players, they'll do they'll do an estimate of what they believe a player's market value is, and Robbie Anderson is actually but they offered an estimate and a market value estimate on, and they peg Robbie Anderson as a guy who on the open market they believe would get eleven point seven million a year. I made five hundred forty three million this year. Imagine whether Sport Track's right or wrong. Let, let's say they're off by a few million, and Robbie Anderson could get eight million dollars. If you're Robbie Anderson, and you made five hundred forty grand, and you feel like you can make seven, eight, nine million a year, and the team's going to tender you a first or second round uh, offer for two million a year, two plus million, you're not going to be the happiest guy in the world. But at the same time, it's some of the stuff that's gone on with Robbie Anderson off the field that would cause that instead of the Jets coming to him with a long-term offer. But the thing with Robbie is he's probably the one guy you look at and think, if you make him a first or second, first or second round tender, you, I would say you got to keep an eye on the Oakland Raiders. And I said this earlier, posted an article on how the Jets could end up with, how the Jets could end up with a few extra draft picks this year. And we'll talk about that after this, after we do this full, the full list here. But Robbie Anderson's a guy I mentioned, and teams are like, you know, teams, or I, I should say people, people that are reading the article, whether they're commenting on Twitter or on the forums on JetNation.com. Oh, my God, you're such an idiot. Nobody's giving, nobody is giving up a first-round pick for Robbie Anderson. He's a one-trick pony. All right, the one-trick pony thing we've been through. And if you weren't paying attention to what the Jets asked Robbie Anderson to do when Sam Darnold came back from injury this season, then I don't know what to tell you. Nothing wrong with being a part-time fan, kind of paying attention half the time, watch a couple highlights, and think you know what's going on. Nothing wrong with that. But Robbie Anderson was absolutely fantastic when the Jets had him, when the Jets started to utilize him, when, when, when Jeremy Bates started to utilize him on a variety of routes. We saw him on, you know, slant, screens, comebacks. Saw him on a variety of routes. Post. Had a huge catch against, I think it was Buffalo. On a, uh, on a deep out. He was all over the field. He was doing everything. 
and he had probably the best three or four game stretch of his career. And before that, before Robbie Anderson had that that three or four game stretch where he showed, oh, look, this guy can do a little bit more than everybody says he can do. Up to that point, the Philadelphia Eagles had offered just a fourth round pick for the guy. That was when everyone thought he could only do one thing. Now, if you're the Oakland Raiders and you have three first-round picks, and there are no, I mean, there, there, there are some couple of big names, re, big-name receivers that, that look like they're first-rounders and some solid guys after that. But as I always say, if, if you're a team, what do you want? You want the guy, the, the lottery ticket guy, even the pick? You're going to take a wide receiver? Or... Just use that 27th pick on Robbie Anderson. Sign him. You lose the first. And now you have a guy who, for all intents and purposes, could have been a thousand-yard receiver each of the last two years. So, for those saying, there's no way somebody gives up a one for Robbie Anderson. And are you going to sit here and tell me that everything John Gruden has done since getting to Oakland has made sense? John Gruden's just been chock full of great decisions since arriving in Oakland. Trades Khalil Mack, trades Amari Cooper. So let's not sit here and pretend that uh, John Gruden all of a sudden is this this master personnel guy. Botched some huge decisions early on. Huge. And you don't think at $10 million a year that he's going to be looking for a way to win some games in a hurry this season? And if he's sitting on three first-rounders and Robbie Anderson is there, I'm not saying it's going to happen. I'm just saying I think if you, if you think you can rule that out, absolutely, and say there's no way John Gruden would give up the 27th pick or 24th, I forget which is their original. They're going to give up those picks. I don't see a scenario where they wouldn't, where they wouldn't snag Robbie Anderson. And actually, I'm going to look that up. I'll talk about that on next week's show. Just I was looking it up earlier and I got uh, I got pulled away for something else. Can't remember now if they would be if it would be that four. Would it be the four? If it would be the four, they wouldn't do it. Not giving up the fourth pick. I don't I, I can't find which pick they would lose if they were to sign Robbie Anderson. But either way, no matter how you look at it, the Raiders have three first round picks. If Robbie Anderson's out there on a first round tender. A second-round tender, I think a couple teams would consider it. Think about it. If you're the San Diego Chargers or you're the New Orleans Saints picking in the, you know, you're the Saints and you're picking 28th, 29th, whatever it would be in the second round, 60th pick, you're going to tell me you wouldn't take Robbie Anderson instead of the 60th pick? I think you'd take Robbie Anderson in a heartbeat. So a second-round tender, you could lose Robbie. I would say you will lose Robbie with a second-round tender. First-round tender, far less likely, but there's no way you can rule it out, certainly. No way. Davis Webb, quarterback, third-string guy this year. We have no idea what the Jets think of him. Didn't get to see him in a game. But if they like him, obviously no no problem in bringing in a guy who's uh, to compete for a spot. That third, that you know, second, third spot on the roster on the depth chart. 
Absolutely. He's an exclusive rights guy anyway. Webb, Jeremy Clark, Frankie Louvu, Deontay Burnett, Benjamin Braden, who I mentioned earlier, and Anthony Wint. All exclusive rights free agents. I would expect all of them back. So talking about how many guys would uh, the Jets have to have to sign. They only have 40 guys, 41 guys signed. I mean, there's no reason to expect Webb, Clark, Louvu, Burnett, Braden, Wint. No reason to expect they won't be back uh, to compete at multiple spots. I mean, look, Frankie Lubu had himself a pretty solid season. You know, for a rookie guy, situational rusher, had a few sacks, was as advertised in terms of just being with his hair on fire. So he uh, he did a nice job, Frankie Lubu, and I would expect him to be back. Braden, they seemed to like. He got some reps with the ones early in preseason and training camp. Found himself on the active roster late in the year. Um, we expect to get an opportunity to come back and, and compete. So we'll see where that goes. But uh, building off of what I was just talking about, the Robbie Anderson thing. The Jets, as we know, gave up this year's second in the Sam Darnold deal. And they, of course, gained a pick in the Teddy Bridgewater trade. But they did give up their sixth in that deal, so they don't have a sixth. And they gave up their seventh for Henry Anderson. So basically, the Jets need players, and they don't have a lot of picks. So how could the Jets end up with eight, nine, ten picks when the draft rolls around? It's not that complicated. And I know fans love to talk about trades, and sometimes it gets ridiculous, and they talk about all these unrealistic, wild scenarios where a team ends up with an extra, you know, nine draft picks. They're all in the top three rounds. They throw out these scenarios where they feel like their team can trade, you know, the 38th guy on their roster and get and get a two and a four, stuff like that. So took a look at this earlier and try to keep it realistic without getting too crazy. But the Jets will clearly be looking to add picks. How can they do that? All right. What are some of their assets? Obviously, first and foremost, that third round pick. Or sorry, that number three overall pick. So you're sitting there at three. A couple good quarterbacks from what we're hearing, who you know what's going to happen. The hype machine is going to get rolling. One or two of these guys, if not more, are in the Senior Bowl. Then we're going to see some, some big days at the Combine. Rumors are going to start flying about this team loves this guy and this team loves that guy. And, and guys are going to fly up draft boards. And there are teams, it, it's not unreal. Let, let's take a look first. For those of you who saw it earlier, I, tweet, I tweeted this out. And then I uh, included it in this article. The number of teams, or which teams, could realistically be looking for quarterback and why. So, going down the list, the New York Giants, they pick sixth. Eli is 100. They they have to get a quarterback. They've got to go quarterback. Jacksonville Jaguars pick seventh. Blake Bortles. Is terrible. Allowing him to take over that team, allowing him to start for that team last year, they're not going to make that mistake again. Denver Broncos and Case Keenum. John Elway is still looking for a quarterback. Okay, and Case Keenum, yes, I do know they only signed him last year, but he was not very good, and he certainly was not good enough 
to justify paying him $21 million, which is what he is due this year, or in 2019. And by cutting him, they take a big cap hit, $10 million hit, but they save $11 million. So an $11 million savings versus $10 million for a quarterback who's just not that. That's, uh, I mean, John always had a rough run in Denver trying to find a quarterback. But they picked 10th, and I don't think you can count them out of the quarterback derby. Picking 11th, the Cincinnati Bengals. Andy Dalton. Andy Dalton's a nice player. Don't get me wrong. But uh, I think he's kind of topped out. And, you know, I could be wrong. Excuse me. Broke up for a second there. But I could be wrong about Andy Dalton. Maybe he, you know, maybe he elevates his game at some point. But I look at him, what he's done in Cincinnati. They've been kind of stagnant for a while. The Bengals can cut him and save $16 million in salary cap. Zero cap hit. All $16 million of his money comes off the books. So how likely is it? I wouldn't say it's very likely. But as with the Robbie Anderson and the tagging thing, impossible to rule it out at this point. Absolutely impossible. So that's another option or another possibility. The Dolphins look to be ready to move on from Ryan Tannehill. So they'll be looking for a quarterback. The Redskins, Alex Smith, Alex, that poor guy. Alex Smith is still in a wheelchair with his leg. Has some complications with that, the healing. That leg that was snapped in half late in the season. Redskins are at 15th. They're going to need a quarterback. Tennessee Titans are at 19. Is Mar- has Marcus Mariota done enough to make the Titans say, yeah, we're good. We don't need a quarterback. He's entering his last. He's entering the final season of his rookie deal. And he hasn't been that good. But at the same time, as much as they shouldn't be, sometimes teams do get swayed by the optics. How does this look if this guy that we we took so early in the draft and you know we give up on him on his first deal? So that may that may give them pause. But again, I wouldn't rule them out as a team that would look for a quarterback. And then Oakland, they pick they pick fourth, twenty fourth, and twenty seventh. And really, you kind of hear stories here and there that John Gruden isn't thrilled with the way Derek Carr has run the offense. Um, we'll find out if that's true or not, because if he is, if he's happy with David Carr, there'll be no need to go out and get another quarterback. But if he's not, which some people have theorized, then David Carr could be uh, replaced. So that's, that's, just, that's a handful of teams to consider. There may even be one or two more. But as it stands, we're going to say Giants, Jags, Broncos, Bengals, Dolphins, Redskins, Titans, and Raiders as teams possibly seeking out quarterbacks. Now, Teddy Bridgewater will be a free agent. Nick Foles will be available. Joe Flacco will be available. But that's three guys. Uh, you got one guy in Flacco who probably doesn't have a lot left in the tank. You got Bridgewater who had a nice preseason with the Jets. But has he really done enough that you would bring him in and feel like Okay, we're set at quarterback now. He's our starter. I don't know that that's the case. And Nick Foles, obviously, is going to get a starting job somewhere. Don't be shocked if he ends up just looking at the list here. I'm sure Washington would love to stick it to Philly. Or the Giants would love to stick it to Philly. I would say the Giants are far less likely. 
because of the fact that they may give Eli another year. But Washington may not have a choice. They may have to go get somebody. And uh, Jacksonville Jacksonville brought in DeFilippo, didn't they? So that would be an option for them there because they work together in Philly. So that's another possibility. But if you're the Jets, you're sitting there at three, and any of those teams calls. And I, I gave for an example, I said Jacksonville. Because I think Jacksonville, Jacksonville needs a quarterback, the Giants need a quarterback. Giants are picking sixth, and Jacksonville is seventh. I think Jacksonville may feel compelled to jump up into the top three for a quarterback and do it before the Giants get a chance to. So let's say you're the Jaguars, you want to move up with the Jets. Now, I used the trade chart for this, the old school one. And here's the thing with the trade chart. I'm sure I've said this before. A couple points. Every team has their own trade chart. I'm sure they're all fairly similar, but every team's got their own chart. They decide for themselves what point value to assign to which pick. I can't for the life of me understand when people say, oh my God, that team would never make that trade. Look at the trade chart. Look at the differential. It's, 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 it's a It's a guide. You don't if, if listen, if you're sitting there, if you're the Jets and you have the third overall pick, and you got the Giants and you got the Redskins and you got the Jaguars calling you bidding on that third pick. It's not like you're gonna be like, Yeah, yeah, that's that's enough. Stop, stop adding picks to the deal. You've you've met the requirement of our of our our draft value chart. We don't need any more picks. We'll take what you're offering. Look, when you're talking about a quarterback, when you're talking about a team trying to trade up to get a franchise quarterback, all bets are off. We've seen teams give up to move up that are way over the the the, the, the recommended point value of some of the, the the point value charts you find online. So I'm not I'm not saying that the point value chart is a you know legally binding official league document. But I, I'm always flabbergasted at the number of people. I, I don't pitch or predict a lot of trades. That's often a waste of time. But the number of people that come back and say, oh, what, what's the trade? Look at the point value. You don't have access to both teams' charts. You don't know what they're looking at. And you don't, it's, not, it's not a binding thing. It's not that hard. It shouldn't be that difficult. It's a guide. So what we did... We said Jets, Jags, and we did the absolute minimum just just to meet the differential of 650. Yes, I would expect the Jets to try to get more. But I'm not going to sit here like some kind of idiot and say, Jets should only make this deal thing at three firsts, four seconds, a couple of thirds, and a fourth. Just start randomly throwing out numbers where the Jets just absolutely rob the team they're making a deal with. So let's say this is a minimum, as a minimum, okay? Let's say the Jets make that deal. They do it with the Jaguars. Jets slide down to seven. The Jets get the Jags seventh. Their second-round pick, which is 38th. Their fourth-round pick, which is 102. Next year. So that's a first, a second, and two-fourths. Does that sound like it's not enough? Yeah, it probably does. But I'm I'm guessing here 
taking a shot in the dark. I'm not going to sit here and hype, you know, and pitch this scenario where the Jets get nine draft picks for the third pick. It, this isn't Madden. I understand that would be fun. I'm just saying this would be the absolute minimum or something in that ballpark. Maybe a one and two twos. Whatever it may be. Now, we won't go beyond that in terms of the trades, but let's not forget, if you do move down to seven, there are still some teams below you there who may like a quarterback. Maybe you can deal a second time, but we, we won't go that far. That's, that's getting ridiculous. Just it, It's a possibility, but by doing a deal somewhat, somewhat similar to this, you can add three or four picks to, your, to what you've got. So now things aren't looking. We have no picks. We have no picks. You deal down from three, you get four picks in return maybe more, you're adding a few picks. Then, of course, there's the Robbie Anderson thing we talked about earlier. You tender him at a two, I'm, I'm going to say someone takes him. Might be wrong, we'll find out, but I think someone takes him. At a one, Oakland might. But if you want a second rounder, which I think that I think that'd be a stupid move, to be honest. I think the Jets, they're limited enough as it is on weapons, I wouldn't give up Robbie Anderson. But if you, if you tender him at a two, he goes. You tender him at a one, he might go. So there's another pick that, honestly, I don't want. I'd rather have Robbie Anderson. But then there were some trade possibilities. One was brought up a couple of weeks ago by Rich Samini, saying that he was hearing, can't remember if he said he was hearing it or if he was pitching it as an idea. But either way, he brought up the possibility of the Jets trading Leonard Williams. Now, I've said myself, that should come down to what Greg Williams thinks of the guy. Let Greg Williams sit down, watch, watch Leonard Williams the last couple of years, watch the film, and let Greg Williams come back and say, either yes or no, I can make this guy worth the $14 million we got to pay him this year. If Greg Williams looks at him and goes, good player, but I can get similar production out of a guy who, you know, here's a few free agents that I feel like I can do just as well with Leo. If that's the case, you try to deal him. Now, what are you going to get for a guy who's due to make $14 million and coming off a couple of not very productive seasons? Good, maybe above average, but certainly not in the $14 million range in terms of value. Well, you're probably going to have a team with an ego that looks at Leo and says, we can we can get him to play like the, the player who he was supposed to be we are taking on some risks because he hasn't fulfilled his potential up to now and he's due a ton of money. So maybe they offer the Jets a third or a fourth, third round pick, third and a sixth, something like that. You can add one, maybe two picks for Leonard Williams. If, if you can find a team that feels like they can, they can get the most out of him. Cause up to this point, up to this point, the Jets certainly have not. So with Leo, if you move on from him, there's more draft capital. And then last but not least, and we talked about this last week with Dennis Wazak, Jordan Jenkins, young 3-4 linebacker, coming off his best season. He had seven sacks as a 3-4 edge, edge guy. But there's a good chance he won't fit in Greg Williams' 4-3 scheme, as he's ex- which is what he's expected to employ. So with that being the case, do you get can you get another sort of late round pick for Jordan Jenkins? Maybe a fifth. 
fifth and a seventh, something along those lines. Because, I mean, I look at a team like the Jets. The Jets the last few years, as bad as their edge rushers have been, you don't think somebody said, hey, listen, guys, we have this young guy, just had seven sacks for us. I mean, Jesus, seven sacks last year would have led the team. Not not the most recent, the year before. I mean, Jordan Jenkins would have been the best, <laughs> as bad as it is, bad as it sounds, would have been the best player, best outside linebacker by a lot a couple years ago. So now did the Jets look to move him? Because And someone, made a, someone said it to me on Twitter the other day, and it really did make sense. A very good point. You can keep Jordan Jenkins and say, well, let's work him at the from in there. Well, if he stinks it up there, and then he stinks it up as a four-three outside linebacker, which he wouldn't be suited for, now you've potentially, now you've potentially tanked his tra- his trade value. This right now might be the highest Jordan Jenkins trade value will get. So do you look to make that move? Add add another pick. Let's let's say a fifth. Okay. So let's say you move Jenkins for a fifth. You move Leo for a three or a four. Maybe you tend to rob you for some insane reason at a two. Someone snags him. You get that second rounder. And then you trade down from three, and you make that one pick into four picks with an out of three picks. That's that's an addition to six, seven draft picks. And and that's the type – these are the type of things – and don't rule out, because we've seen this from the Jets in the past with Mike McCagnan, as the draft progresses – He'll trade down. He'll give you his fourth for your fourth and then your sixth. Then he'll give you his fifth for your sixth. And I think we're going to see a lot of that with Mike McCagnon this this uh, this draft. Because, I mean, he has, he's got, listen, his roster. A lot of guys on the roster who uh, who won't be back. And as I said, I think the, I think the exclusive rights guys will be back. I think Middleton will be back, again, restricted. We'd love to see Roberts back, Walford back, Hewitt back. Harrison, Dozier, Quale, Ajalana. At least bring them back at, at levels that just allow them to compete. McClendon, Curse, Powell, Claiborne. There you go. And again, maybe McCown. Maybe McCown is a uh, coach, as we said. And it, The Browns tried to hire him as a coach two years ago. Teams can see that he's, you know, he, he's got that in his blood. He's that type of guy. He's been around a million years. He's seen every offense. And uh, he's a team-first guy. So that's that rundown. Deals that could add picks, because the Jets should be looking to do that. And to look at the undrafted or the uh, unrestricted free agents that the Jets should be willing to let go. Who should come back? Who shouldn't? And before we go, I just wanted to, to tell uh, Jets fans, if you haven't already, because you should have, but if you haven't already, go to uh, go to on Facebook or Twitter. Either one should get you there. Might be better with Twitter, but uh, Connie Carberg, check her out, man. Connie Carberg. It's C O N N I E C A R B E R G. Great Jets fan, great diehard Jets fan, who was the first ever female scout in the NFL. She was responsible for discovering Mark Gastineau, 
one of the greatest Jets of all time, and Connie found them. And she's, you know, they, she and Mark Gastineau, and NFL Films, after, uh, you know, it was long overdue, NFL Films finally did a feature on her. And it's, it's Connie Scout's passion for the Jets, followed her throughout her life and career. And it did. And I've run into Connie a couple times at camp. Great lady. I know a lot of the folks that uh, that work with Jet Nation know Connie personally as well. And she's just she's a diehard Jets fan. And uh, in an era where we see uh, some people get into positions, you know, for, for reasons other than being qualified, uh, it's something else to see what Connie was able to do at a time when that wasn't the case, where if you were going to get that job, you had to be good. And uh, congratulations to Connie Carberg, a, a real, you know, truly a trailblazer um, in terms of getting women to kind of get, get that foot in the door to get into an NFL front office in the draft room. And she, I believe she said she was the one calling in the picks on draft day to the league um, on top of being a scout. So absolute diehard fan. Give her a follow on Twitter. Like I said, C-O-N-N-I-E. Actually, at Twitter, she's at C-O-N-N-I-E Scouts. At Connie Scouts. And uh, she's got a great book, X's and O's. Don't mean I love you, the untold story of the NFL's first female scout. First female scout, did it as a Jet, found Gastineau. Great lady, great fan. Uh, if you get the opportunity, send her a hello. She's uh, very interactive with the fans on social media. And uh, congratulations to her because it was recognition well-deserved. That will do things. That will do it for us on this week's episode of Jet Nation Radio. Um, oh, real quick before before we run, wanted to... Throw out some thoughts on these playoff games. I mean, the Pats, it's a weird thing. You have to respect what they do because it's it's unbelievable the run they're on. But equally unbelievable is is plays like the D forward play. Like, it just seems like every game, there's not just a mistake, but like a monumental boneheaded play. Um, the best example was probably when the Colts sent out like one dude to run a play on special teams against uh, an entire Pats D-line on special teams, and that that shockingly didn't work. <clears throat> Excuse me. Um, but the Pats are going to the Super Bowl, as are the Rams. Um, I mean, what can you say about the, the blown missed pass interference call late in the game that cost New Orleans the win? I know people, oh, but there was a face mask on Goff earlier in the game, and there was, and there was a hold here. And there was, listen, I get that. These things happen, flags get missed, but that missed pass interference call was, for my money, the worst call I've ever seen on a football field. Like, that dude laid the guy out, helmet to helmet, shoulder in his chest, when the ball was still four or five yards away from him, and there was no flag thrown. The league almost, they didn't, but the fact that they almost issued a public apology the next morning tells you how... Every penalty you've ever looked at and said that's the worst penalty I've ever seen, you never hear from the league on that. The league sends a letter to the player and the team. They might, and they're apologizing to the team, and the team might make you aware of that. But I can't remember a time where the league acknowledged it to the coach immediately after the game, as they did with Sean Payton, and then it was leaked that they were seriously considering releasing a statement 
to the fans regarding the penalty. You don't see that. Penalty that big, that obvious, in that spot with a minute and a half to go is like on the Daryl Bevel not running Marshawn Lynch on the goal line level of stupidity. And it is a play and a call that will never be forgotten. It was unbelievably bad. No one's going to say, oh, remember that face mask they missed on Goff? You miss face mask. Guys miss calls. You're not supposed to miss the easiest call that you had all day. And that's what happened. Both games went to overtime. Now the overtime debate. My opinion on this is as follows. I, I get the whole, oh, you want the ball too, you get the stop. That doesn't fly anymore. Why doesn't that fly anymore? Talk about, I mentioned it earlier in the show, is that today's game is, I would say, 80% geared toward offenses. Every single rule, every single significant change is geared toward scoring points and making life harder on defenses. Defenses are out there playing with their hands tied behind their backs. And you're going to look at me and say, well, you gave up points. Well, you know what? The other team probably would have given up points too if they had to go out there and make a play against Pat Mahomes. I'm guessing, I'm guessing, I'm guessing Pat Mahomes would have made a play. So it, when things used to be level back in the day when the rules were fair, you know, level playing field, I get you. Make a stop. Can't run around and and either complain or even acknowledge that the rules are dramatically tilted toward giving the offense an advantage and then say in an overtime game only one t- only only one side should have to play defense in an overtime game and if you don't get the stop too bad i'm sorry that doesn't fly with me every single rule is geared toward allowing teams to score touchdowns with that being the case both teams should get a chance to handle the ball in overtime both defenses should have to get a stop or get a chance to have to get a stop or give up a score. That's my two cents. Not a level playing field anymore. It's all about the offenses. Not as easy as it used to be to get a stop on defense. Anyway, getting off my high horse. That wraps things up for this week. Thank you so much for tuning in, and we look forward to you joining us next week. Have a great night, Jets fans. Thanks for listening. Be sure to follow Glenn on Twitter at AceFan23. And the show can be found at Jet Nation Radio. Until next time, go Jets!